0: Hey, Ollie here. If you enjoy the podcast, it is, of course, free to download, but you can help us out in return and it won't cost you a penny. Please go onto your iTunes or Android app and click rate and review. Leave us a message. Tell us what you like about the podcast and share it with your friends. It makes a huge difference for how other people can discover the show episode five already then if you want to see more videos you can go uh, and follow us at the gutology project on instagram and follow us on facebook as well at gutology all right let's do the show Mm -hmm. And welcome to the Gutology podcast, episode five already. The acid myth, too much or too little today. Uh, You'll be amazed how much stomach acid can affect your digestion. And we're going to tell you today some free, easy, cheap things you can do to optimise it. Uh, If it's your first time listening to the podcast, we do recommend that you go back to episode one uh, in this six to seven part series. um, And also you can discover uh, our six part guide as well to nourishing your health online at gutology.co.uk. So just a brief overview. My name's Ollie, you probably know that by now. Uh, I'm the host of the podcast along with Julia Davies, who's um, a leading uh, nutritionist and uh, practices in functional medicine. And today, like I said before, we're going to be talking about stomach acid. You'll get some tips on how you can improve it easily. And we're going to talk through some studies as well that have recently come out. So we know what we're doing by now. Let's start at the beginning. Firstly, What is stomach acid? I would like to think if people have been listening since episode one, they'll already start to have a bit of idea how it and what role it plays in digestion. But let's just talk over that briefly.
1: Yeah. okay. I mean, we have mentioned it in every episode because it's so fundamental to your digestive tract. It's uh, stomach acid is... Produced in your stomach. So when we talk about the stomach, we're actually talking about the region that's above your belly button. We talk a lot of people say stomach and they think their whole abdomen is the stomach, but actually the the organ, the stomach, is above your belly button. That's where the acid is produced, and it's the only region in your body that is meant to be as acid as it is. So we talked before about what pH level the acid is, and it's meant to be between about one and a half and three. Somewhere in that region, which is extremely acid, um, is what is required to digest your food. So it's something that if it goes wrong, it has an impact on everything further down the digestive tract.
0: And how common would you say that um, having abnormal stomach acid is for people? You know, if people are sort of listening today, is it rare to have low stomach acid or high stomach acid? Or would you say actually it's quite common in a lot of people?
1: Really common, um, really common. It's the sort of thing that I'm considering in quite a lot of my clients. Um, In fact, the. Somebody that I saw this morning, I looked at his fingernails and I thought, hmm, that doesn't look quite right. They look quite ridged, quite dented. And my first thought was, I bet his stomach acid isn't right and he's not absorbing minerals. And so I've now sent him off with instruction of how to test for his stomach acid to see if that is the case. I think
0: that probably has blown my mind the most about doing this podcast series is how far removed some of these things are that can be linked back to the gut you know you know so much of our idea about gut health is literally having stomach pain or what comes out the other end the idea that every single part of our body in some way or all of these conditions can be rooted back to your stomach health and just because you've got good digestion doesn't mean that everything's in working order i i it really has sort of opened my eyes a lot so um you said there that this guy you, you're going to send off for a test. Mm. So what is that and how does it work?
1: Mm. Okay so what I what I want to investigate is um, a really simple test by I've given him some betaine hydrochloride which is it's trying to mimic the stomach acid that you naturally produce but it's in a capsule so we're going to supplement it but we're going to do it as a test so I've said to him when he plates up his dinner tonight just as as he's about to eat, start eating take one of these capsules of betaine hydrochloride. It's got about 500 milligram of that in there and I've just asked him just see what it feels like if you don't feel indifferent fine that's great if you feel like a burning discomfort then that means that actually your stomach acid is okay and you don't need to supplement. So if that happens, I'd probably ask him to repeat the test two or three times on different days just to make sure that it's fine and then great, job done, he's done the test, his stomach acid is fine and there's something else going on with his nails. But it's the most obvious thing that I can think of at this point that we need to rule out first. If he took the acid capsules and didn't feel any different at all, then tomorrow evening I've asked him to take two capsules at the same time with his evening meal. So the reason I've asked him to do it with his evening meal is because um, this particular guy eats his main meal, his largest meal in the evening time. So when you're getting hungry for your evening meal and your stomach acid should be producing to its highest level when you're hungry, so that's why I've said to him want to test it not at three in the afternoon when you're not even thinking about eating we want to be doing it when you're expecting your food and you're expecting your largest meal of the day because that's when your stomach acid should be be at its highest level so if he takes two capsules tomorrow evening and it doesn't produce any any discomfort whatsoever then the next day is going to take three and we're going to go on in this way we're not going to go for longer than about a week because it becomes very counterproductive to be taking a lot of capsules but this will tell me where he's at if he is deficient in HC or is natural stomach acid production, then to what degree that deficiency is.
0: When we're talking about stomach acid, it seems to me that we talk a lot about it being low. Is that the most common issue with digestive issues is that the stomach acid is low?
1: It is. And that surprises a lot of people because most people think that their stomach acid is too high. So it's a really, really common misconception that when you're getting symptoms like acid reflux, for example, and you feel a burning in the esophagus, you think, and quite naturally think, oh, that's because my stomach acid is too high and it's leaking out and burning my esophagus. Actually, what I'm telling people is no, it's the opposite. You've, it, there's a there's a chance it might be that your stomach acid is overproducing, but it's most likely that it's underproducing and it causes the same symptom. So if your stomach acid is high or if it's low, you can still get that burning reflux sensation in your throat. So trying I find it really important to try and get people to understand the physiology of that and what's occurring because it's kind of blowing people's minds that normally people are swallowing antacids and Gaviscon and things like that to neutralize it, which can give symptomatic relief. But actually, the longer you use those things, it can make the problem worse.
0: If you are suffering from acid reflux, uh, and um, uh, what you think is high stomach acid, and you're taking PPIs and stuff like that. More on that later on the podcast and loads of articles online right now at gutology.co.uk. What other symptoms could people be having if they are suffering from low stomach acid?
1: So there's quite a lot because if your stomach acid is really low, it affects the whole of your digestion. So it could be that it's just not giving the right signals to the rest of your gut to move very fast. So you get a sluggishness um, and that really, that results in constipation. So constipation could be the only sign that you're getting and actually your stomach acid level is so low, but if you replace that, everything is fine. So that's one example. It could also present as... Um, diarrhea because when you don't have enough stomach acid part of its job is to kill off bacteria on contact so if the acid isn't high enough then you get more bacteria that actually gets through into your small intestine and you get this condition that we've talked about called small intestinal bowel overgrowth where you've got so much more bacteria than should naturally occur at that particular position in the GI tract that can then cause diarrhea the presence of the SIBO so it it can manifest in different sort of digestive symptoms the absolute classic presentation, which people genuinely say to me quite frequently, whenever I try and eat meat or whenever I have a steak in front of me, I just cannot digest it. It just sits really heavy, can't break it. it feels like my stomach just can't even break it down. Now, that is the number one classic sign of stomach acid deficiency. Yeah, and that's something
0: that I definitely have myself yeah. l- thinking back as if I yeah. ever, but I'd feel really nauseous after eating like a steak or something like that. Yeah, it
1: can cause you feeling sick. And also yeah. a lot of
0: belching as well that was something that that... yeah
1: so what's happening there so belching is is the release of gas so where's the gas coming from and in your stomach if the acid isn't high enough then what's happening is your stomach muscle walls are like churning and churning the food around trying to digest it but the acid isn't strong enough to do that so it can't pass on to the next stage of digestion and leave the stomach instead it sits in the stomach and ferments and produces gas so then you end up having a lot of belching maybe an hour after you've eaten because the acid is failing to break down the proteins and put it into the small intestine for its next phase of breakdown. So it sits in the stomach, it's producing all this gas and it's got to come out. So that's like the upper GI gas is belching.
0: Um, So if someone's listening to this right now, is there anything that they can do at home to kind of work out whether low stomach acid is an issue for them?
1: Um, so one thing that you could try is just having a like squeezing a little bit of lemon juice in a very, very small amount of water and taking that whilst you have the symptom and see if it makes it better or if it makes it worse. Because if you are suffering
0: from low stomach acid, that yeah. could improve the symptoms.
1: Yeah, because that, that really concentrated lemon juice will just give you a bit of an acid hit in your stomach and actually help to relieve the symptoms. So that's something that you could do or taking, you know, very small amount of apple cider vinegar that would help as well. Um, if it was low low stomach acid,
0: so just to recap on those points, then stomach acid is the number one real like the number one miracle of digestion. If your stomach acid isn't high enough, it literally can't break down the foods. And we've just spoken about all the different things that you can do. You can go online right now, gutology.co.uk. We've got loads of articles specifically on stomach acid. If you're listening to this thinking mm, I'm not quite sure, then you can go and read more online. We're going to get into more detail, particularly. Uh, Fascinating stuff about PPIs, acid reflux if you're suffering from that, stuff that you can do to prevent it and more tips. Uh, Switching over to uh, the news this week um, and perfectly, actually, it is all about PPIs. So starting on the news, firstly, what are PPIs? Because I'd never heard of them before
1: oh okay so ppi stands for proton pump inhibitors and it's a class of drugs that's designed to suppress your stomach acid and what they what they are doing is inhi- the word inhi- inhibitor means it's blocking something so what they're blocking is the proton pump now this is something that is present in the cells that line the stomach wall and the proton is actually the H bit of your HCl, your stomach acid. So it's the hydrogen bit. And it's blocking the action of that. So it's not pumping out the acid into your stomach.
0: So, who is on PPIs and why would you be given them from your doctor?
1: So, if you, a lot of prescriptions of PPIs are given if you're getting heartburn or acid ingestion. And you can be prescribed something like Omeprazole or Lanzoprazole. They are examples of PPIs. Um, another reason it might be prescribed is, say, somebody that has got some pain, chronic pain, like of like that of arthritis, for example, and they're taking um, an anti-inflammatory medication and they would be prescribed a PPI alongside it to try and prevent the damage to the gut that the anti-inflammatories might induce. So it's they're, they're told you must take this alongside the anti-inflammatory because it protects your stomach it lines your stomach it doesn't actually do though. it doesn't actually line your stomach it just but that's reduces all, the acid it reduces the acid because one of the risks of taking the non-steroidal type of anti-inflammatory drugs is that it gives you uh, it can ulcerate it can cause an ulceration in your stomach so um, if you take the acid out of that situation it makes it less likely to do that so
0: just to sidetrack slightly if some because that sounds to me like a tricky situation we're saying potentially here look ppis might not be great for your health but if you're suffering from inflammation surely you need something to help reduce the inflammation and relieve the pain so the question i would have is is there something else you could be taking rather than constant ibuprofen that would lower your inflammation
1: so there's There are different ways that you can address the levels of inflammation in your system. And in my clinical practice, I deal as my specialism is inflammatory disease. So I'm looking at what is triggering that inflammation and what is driving that inflammation and trying to work with that.
0: Uh, is it because basically things like ibuprofen are dealing with a symptom, not the root cause? Yeah,
1: that's it. So it's like putting the plaster over the wound and it's not stopping the wound. So, okay, you so need to, this is why you, they're prescribed on a chronic basis. Like, OK, well, you need to just take this maximum dose every day until, well, there is no end point because it's not actually addressing the source of the inflammation.
0: So PPIs are one of the most prescribed, commonly yeah, prescribed drugs very, worldwide? very, very
1: common. Very, very common.
0: And if you are taking those... Your stomach acid potentially is getting lower. And what we're saying is when you have low stomach acid, then start the other things like poor digestion. That can lead to malabsorption. Mm -hmm. That means you're not getting your vitamins and minerals. So the knock-on effect actually can be quite detrimental to your health.
1: Yeah, it can.
0: So if you are suffering from... Well, firstly, let's start on this then, because what we're talking about in the news here is what they're saying in this trial is probiotics over PPIs. So can we just elaborate on what, what is the actual scientific evidence here?
1: So it's, it's looking at the, the, what we should really be exploring um, as a treatment for um, use it for acid indigestion and discomfort in the stomach is should we be using probiotics for this instead of ppis because ppis have damage further down in the digestive tract and we know that they do that because they're impairing your ability to digest your food and then so taking the ppis has their knock-on effects whereas using a probiotic might help with the indigestion type feelings and the stomach discomfort but at the same time then it has a knock-on effect further down the digestive tracts and helps support that as well. So you're looking at the probiotics fits really nicely with our philosophy because it's looking at the, the gut as a whole system. So it's looking at improving something whilst also improving things further downstream of it, whereas the PPIs are just addressing symptomatically something in one region of the GI tract, but then making the other re- regions worse.
0: So this clinical trial is saying that certain probiotics can help Boost the stomach acid to then relieve the symptoms that PPIs will be doing the same job of. Is that correct?
1: Um, it's not so much that they can boost the symptoms. It's just saying that what they'll be doing is they'll be they'll be helping the regulate the environment that is within the stomach itself and. Um, and then further enhancing the digestion further down, because if you've got problems in your small intestine, that can have a backup effect on your stomach and cause reflux. Right. OK. So, so It's, it's, okay. it's yeah. not actually the the interesting thing about how probiotics work is they don't just do one thing. So with pharmaceutical drugs, which is what most people are more familiar with, they're designed to work on a specific mechanism of action. With um, natural agents or things that have been naturally derived and probiotics are definitely one of those that have multiple mechanisms of action and some of which we actually don't really know about, but they seem to be beneficial to the person taking it rather than having the side effects that might be associated with the pharmaceutical.
0: So this trial is saying that the probiotics can be beneficial down the system and can help reduce symptoms of acid reflux. However, it sounds like it might be a two-pronged approach of probiotics along with maybe some help of stomach acid levels at the same time. Yes,
1: definitely. So probiotics, if you've got a true deficiency of stomach acid, probiotics alone will not be enough, not in my experience, to actually get it to the sufficient level again.
0: Okay, so this this clinical trial even saying, look, there is hard evidence here that it does work. Your clinical experience is yes, that plus... A bit of assistance on the stomach acid as well Mm. if this is personal to you and you've got more questions about this because what's really really important here with all of the stuff that we're talking about is working with your doctor, with your GP, not going against that advice. You know, the the ideal thing is, is that you do everything in conjunction. So in an ideal world, you have your GP and you have your nutritionist, and there is some communication along there of, my goal is to get off PPIs doing this. How do I do that in a sensible way? What we're not saying is, throw your PPIs in the bin tonight. And start taking some apple cider vinegar. You, you've got to do it in a in a responsible way, monitored by a really good nutritionist. And we know that that can be hard to find as well. So uh, online at gutology.co.uk, if you have questions, you can message via the website. Okay, good news this week. More of that next week. So moving on from there, let's talk about. Um, uh, I, I mean, we sort of have got quite into it quite heavily there, but just to talk a little bit much about. What some people joke as the sort of billion dollar con, you know, it's such a big industry. PPIs. The is there scenarios where you genuinely can have too much acid? Because I know that's a question that a lot of people are going to ask.
1: Yeah, there is. There is, um, and in which in which case, then the PPIs would be a great course of action to take. Um, I think the the real problem with this is that their symptoms are just the same if you have too much acid or if you have too little, and they don't routinely test your stomach acid level before a prescription. And also it's one of those things that I've found is if people are getting episodes of acid reflux and they see their GP, they then take the, the, say the, the omeprazole and it helps. If something helps, do you want to continue taking it or would you then want to come off it? You'd want to carry it on, wouldn't you? So people are on repeat prescriptions for this kind of thing for weeks, months, years, decades. And I recently saw a um, a man who was 72 and he had been on Omeprazole since it was first created because he remembers the conversation with his GP. It's like, I've got something for you, I've got something for you, let's try it. And he was on repeat prescriptions and he said to me, but he said, I thought maybe <clears throat> you know two decades or over two decades of taking this particular drug isn't such a good idea. So periodically I've tried to come off it, but every time I do, I get really bad indigestion again. So then I go straight back on it again. So that would be a really good thing for us to talk about now, because this is what's happened to so many people that they feel then convinced that they really need the medication. Or you're
0: trapped on it
1: you're trapped on it and that is really the the i spend a lot of time trying to explain to to people to understand their system i think if you need it fine but there's a chance that you might not need it so let's work together with your gp and see if we can really assess that so if we first go back to the symptom of acid reflux and indigestion so you know it's a horrible thing to experience i've experienced it myself when i was pregnant and this huge intense severe pain you know Absolutely horrific pain. It's something that's serious. Um, if you're getting that on a regular basis, like thank goodness there are drugs available. You know, this is a really um, important message to say. This is not just the odd bit of discomfort and think, oh, that's not quite right. It can be a nasty symptom to have to live with. In some cases, people have felt that having a heart attack and have called ambulances, and it actually just uh, just turns out to be acid reflux. But I, if I explain the physiology of what's going on, so in your stomach. If you are overproducing acid and you've got a weak sphincter, which is the bit of muscle that closes off the top of your stomach, going into into your esophagus, and that's weak, what will happen is you can get a sort of reflux of the stomach contents that brings some of the acid with it, and that burns. So the pH of anything that you're swallowing is just a little more acid than neutral. So we're looking at pH 6.5. pH pH 7 is neutral. That's the pH of water. So it's really only a bit more acidic than water. And that is what the oesophagus, which is the tube that connects the mouth to the stomach, is able, able to cope with. It can't cope with a pH of 1.5 or 2 or 2.5 or 3. It can't even cope with a pH of 4 or 5. Okay, so keep that in mind. So when your stomach acid is low and you're not producing enough stomach acid... You're eating your meal, it's sitting in your stomach, it's fermenting in your stomach. That in itself is going to cause gases to build up like we just discussed. And that puts pressure on the sphincter at the top of the stomach. Because if you imagine all those gases starting to be generated, plus a whole load of food that is pretty undigested because the stomach acid isn't enough, it progressively pulls open that sphincter and really weakens it. And if your pH is really low, it might be 354 if that reflux is through that weak, weak sphincter, that is going to burn like hell on your esophagus. Still, but it's because it's not—it's it, not sufficient enough, but it's still sufficient acid to burn your esophagus.
0: And when people are going through this and they're they're taking, you know, the supplements, is do they have to do that in conjunction with a change of diet? Are there certain foods that don't help or can sort of? Uh, inflame the acid reflux
1: so there's there's a couple of things to consider there so if you're vegan or vegetarian your stomach acid naturally drops anyway so you have to be quite wise so i don't have anything against a vegan diet i actually love vegan food um, but i'm not vegan myself there's you have to be quite clever if you want to be vegan or vegetarian to ensure you get the nutrients because you're not you're not adding animal proteins to your stomach so your body adapts doesn't it your body is so clever it adapts to any situation so if you're not giving it animal proteins it's not going to need as much acid to digest those plant things and that's why sometimes
0: when a vegetarian just goes and eats meat they can't cope with it it's not because they're allergic to meat it's just the stomach acid is lower
1: yeah and interestingly some people go vegetarian because they progressively have a low stomach acid and they just say I just just went off meat it just didn't feel like it or every time I ate it it made me feel a bit sick and then they go vegetarian So it's like vegetarian and veganism can actually cause your stomach acid to be deficient, but you can sometimes go that way because your stomach acid is deficient. So in terms of absorbing um, nutrients, particularly iron, iron and vitamin B12, they rely on your stomach acid.
0: Yeah, so that's that's a big thing, actually, as a brief side topic is that, you know, to be the B12 one is a really interesting one because it's sneakily dangerous because it's not something that happens quickly it can happen over a long period of time and those symptoms can be so minute that it can be it can be too late you know cuz b12 we're talking neurological yeah. damage you yeah. know a, a cognitive function yeah. um so if you are doing a vegetarian or a vegan diet it's really really important that you're supplementing with some kind of b12 i guess
1: i would recommend it definitely i think that's only sensible because um you're not getting you're not getting as much in your food but also the absorption is impaired too so you've got two reasons there same with iron you're not getting as much iron based food from your red meat so but you also the, can't absorb it because your acid is lower
0: what are the top supplements for every sort of vegetarian or vegan that you would be saying look as a minimum you should be on these
1: just those two b12 and iron as a minimum yeah
0: okay so going back to the um going back to the uh the the diet people that are taking um migrating trying to migrate off ppis or reduce their acid reflux what are foods that you would avoid
1: So while we're trying to get their digestive system back again, I wouldn't recommend that they just have a large steak because it's just going to put a lot of pressure on straight away. But um, it depends what diet they have before. But trying to, um, I'd get them to start drinking apple cider vinegar with every meal straight away.
0: Funnily enough, that is going to be, we'll do this all in one go then. So our, our try this tip this week is going to be apple cider vinegar before you eat. You can get it in any health food store you can buy it off Amazon um, certain brands that come to mind that you think are good Margaret Hill's brand is really good Great. Margaret Hill's
1: is one of the um, you know people decades and decades ago that really advocated it um, and um, she gets her own own maid now she's not alive herself anymore but the company have their own cider vinegar made in the old traditional way and it keeps it really cloudy and it's got something called the mother in it which has got a lot of enzymes as well and that is often filtered out for the more commercial
0: brand yeah, so things like, I think there are, uh, Braggs is another one that Bragg's has mother. Braggs really good as well. And the key is yeah. to look at it. And you'll see if it's cloudy if it looks a bit kind of like scrumpy cider yeah, it's that's cloudy the stuff. Yeah. that's the stuff you want yeah
1: if it's really crystal clear and it's in a beautiful bottle it's actually not as good for you you want it to be looking a little bit grim and a bit filthy
0: on the inside um, so how would you take that apple cider vinegar so how long before you eat
1: so I maybe 10 minutes before you eat and I have it pretty strong so have a, just two teaspoons but dilute it in about maybe 75ml of water so quite strong so sometimes you know apple cider vinegar it can be used for many many different types of health problems and it's really useful for that but if you're using it to boost your stomach acid you want it quite strong quite concentrated and just about 10 minutes before your meals and that will really really make a difference straight away that can make a difference in three days so worthwhile pursuing that
0: I think the other thing that's important to mention here as well is that like we were discussing on the early episodes of you know how long does it take to restore your microbiome how long does it take you to recover from chronic diarrhea or constipation you know we're talking in a period of months. And I think that's something that I really want to get across in, in, in this series is that yes, there are certain things that will make you feel better quickly. The PPIs are a great example. Overnight, with one tablet, it will stop it will stop those things. Yeah. You know, certain people, antibiotics, you take those, you feel better instantly. Yeah. But the danger with stuff like this, these quick fixes, is that in the long term, they can create more problems and be detrimental to your health. There is a solution that you can do to many of these things where you can naturally restore your gut or improve your acid reflux or completely stop your acid reflux. But it it takes time. This is not something that if you take apple cider vinegar, your acid reflux is going to stop overnight. My personal experience from it, I remember from when i took the hcl supplements even though i had a remarkable improvement very very quickly to build up a tolerance or a resilience or to really get all of the symptoms under control i think it was at least six months to really start to to stop the belching to you know another thing is um do they call it lpr which is the silent reflux where people have you know, it can cause um, some people get breathing issues from it as well.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where actually, you're, you're effectively you can see traces of pepsin in the lungs. It can, it's actually a measurable thing where it's refluxed all the way up and gotten into the mucous membrane of the lungs as well. And it causes inflammation there and it can cause breathing difficulties. So, yeah, there's definitely complications. And there's a lot of
0: stuff as well where people are mistaking that for asthma. and for years people just assume they're asthmatic yeah they're not yeah it's actually pepsin coming up the airway so even more reason to make sure that you know not even if you're not on ppis and you're listening to this how do you keep on top of um you know i think that's a really important thing to to think about is we talk a lot about optimizing your health how do you stop even if you have good stomach acid how do you look after it and how do you stop it you know bitter foods we talk about a lot, don't we? Really, really good for for promoting yeah. uh, a good environment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Things like ginger is really useful for that. Um, also chewing your food, like the physical action of chewing produces a lot of stomach acid. So that's really working with the gut physiology. And it all it all comes down to the bare bones of how does the gut work? Because if you can get your, if, if you can chew properly and eat in a relaxed fashion, your gut secretions will increase naturally. So one, the, real, the number one cause that I've discovered in my, in my practice of low stomach acid is stress. Because it's just taking all of the energy away from the gut. It just doesn't activate the cells that make the acid and they just can't, the acid doesn't get absorbed into the stomach properly. So
0: is that like, you know, when you've eaten a big meal, that feeling of lethargy, that's actually a healthy thing because what all the blood is going to focus on digestion. Yeah. If you're running around like a mad hat and doing other stuff. Yeah. It's not there,
1: is it? So then when you need you, I mean, we we eat because we like food. We like the taste, but we're actually eating for fuel for our body. We need this stuff. It's like it's as simple as fuel in your car. You know, perfect analogy. If you run out of fuel in your car, the car will not work. So you need to eat not only for pleasure, but you need to eat for, for providing fuel. So you're doing it so that your body can get the nutrients it needs to perform all its reactions and just keep you healthy. So if your stomach acid isn't right, you're falling at the first hurdle there.
0: So for, to see these articles, to learn a little bit more about stomach acid, even you know, if you're on PPIs, you want to learn a bit more about that and how people are migrating from them, uh, you can go online to gutology.co. You can also see our link to Patreon as well there, where you can support this project, patreon.com forward slash gutology. And you can even be part of our monthly seminars as well. Well, I I think that's a pretty comprehensive go at stomach acid this week.
1: One more thing that I think is really important. And it's just something that's so common. I've just realised that this is a sort of statement that so many people say when they come to see me is I can't bear to eat breakfast in the morning. That is a classic sign of stomach acid deficiency. So people that wake up and they're like, I can't eat till 11 o'clock. I've got to, I've, I've got to get moving, get to work before I can eat. And that is largely because they've probably got a lot of undigested food in their stomach. So it makes them feel a bit sick in the morning and just couldn't possibly eat.
0: And that is low stomach acid? Low
1: stomach acid, yeah.
0: yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. So some people say, oh, it's, it's been like that my whole life. Well, I might have had slightly insufficient HCL production their whole life. And then when you change it, it's, it's you know, it just gives them a completely different digestive function.
0: You can start your journey to nourish your gut and improve your health online. Head to gutology.co.uk. OK, so episode six is all about stress, anxiety, depression, how you can get on top of it, how it affects your inverted commas second brain. In the meantime, come and join us at gutology.co.uk and we'll see you next time.